Well, if you're joining with us this morning, we are continuing our series in the Ten Commandments, and we're in the Ninth Commandment this morning. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Kings and to 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21, and we're going to begin to read at verse 1. If you're reading from a, a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 364, 364. 1 Kings 21, and we're going to begin to read at verse 1. It's good to hear the pages rustling. Well, let people find it, and then we'll begin. So, 1 Kings 21. This is God's Word to us this morning. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use it for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab went home, sullen, and if we're not sure what sullen means, it means a mixture of angry and depressed and annoyed. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and, and seek, seek Naboth in the prominent place among the people, but seek two scoundrels opposite him and have them testify that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And so the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters that she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in the prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. And so they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent the word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard 
that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us this morning. Nigel. Well, as these guys go out, let's uh, open our Bibles and maybe turn to uh, 1 Kings 21. Uh, we're going to be jumping around the Bible a little bit, as we do whenever we are looking at these uh, commandments, but uh, we are going to take a little bit of time to look at that story of Naboth's vineyard uh, in a moment or two. So, 1 Kings 21, page 364, uh, it might be useful for us to have open. As I was uh, thinking about uh, this week, about this uh, commandment, I remembered an illustration I'd used many years ago, a great story about a lie being at the root of the Boxer Rebellion. I don't know if you know what the Boxer Rebellion was. It was around 1900. There was a, a huge uprising in China, and many people died. Um, many, it was an anti-Western uh, uh, uprising, and many missionaries were uh, killed at that time. And I'd heard this story about its origins. Uh, in fact, I'd read a commentary written by a very well-known pastor who had quoted this story. And I used it here in Hill Street about 10 years ago. And uh, it told of how four newspaper reporters, American newspaper reporters, ended up in a small town in the States. And they had been chasing a story, and the leads had gone dry, and they all ended up in the hotel bar together. And they, as they chatted, as they drank, they, they, they said, we really need a good story, you know, for, for the press uh, over the next couple of days. And, and they, they said, we, we should make a story up. And, and they, they made up this story of the, the Great Wall of China and how some American engineers were en route to the Great Wall of China to demolish it, to create a huge opening in it, uh, because China was going to uh, begin to trade with the rest of the world, and this was going to be the opening up of China. China had agreed to this, and uh, these engineers were on their way to do this. Well, the four uh, reporters sort of agreed on the story, and they pu published it in their own papers, and it, it, it sort of went viral, as it would, uh, 100 years ago. And uh, eventually, the, the news got to China, and the Chinese people were absolutely enraged, of course, and it stoked anti-Western sentiment, and it led to the Boxer Rebellion. Well, I, I didn't know exactly where the story was, so I, I, I googled it, looked it up, and it turns out it's not true. There's that great story that, that is to tell you how, how powerful a lie is and, and how, how, how far the lie can spread, and that very story is a lie. And it's been picked up and used by preachers, including Muggins here, uh, uh, many, many times. I couldn't believe it. And whenever you find something like that out, it just makes you want to give up, doesn't it? You, you end up thinking, where, where can I find anything that's true? Nothing can be trusted. How am I to find truth in today's world? You know, we talk about fake news, another word for lies, and the news outlets employ fact-checkers to check the truth, and then we find that the fact-checkers are working to some agenda, and somebody's paying them. Uh, where can we go to find the truth? And then, of course, we find that there are those who give up not just on finding the truth, but on the whole concept of truth. There are those who, who really think that uh, there isn't any truth at all. There's no objective truth. They say, at best, you have your truth, and I have my truth. And uh, you really don't want a surgeon who thinks like that, or a plumber even, uh, uh, or uh, anybody really. Uh, you, you, that's even more depressing. 
And in the midst of all of that, God says to His people, Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie. You shall not lie. And of course, as we've said, the commandments protect something. And here they are seeking to protect the truth. God's people are to be dealers in the truth. They're to be people who speak the truth, who love the truth, who share the truth. The Heidelberg Catechism is really, really helpful in this. It speaks about what this commandment means and what our responsibilities are if we are to obey it. And uh, I know our young people are going to fill some of these gaps in, so we'll leave it on the screen for a moment or two. It says in question 112, what is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, not condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. I mean, that's Twitter, isn't it? Like all over. Uh, Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Well, it's, it's, it's a huge implication, isn't it? And we see that the commandment of uh, the original context of the commandment was indeed the sort of courtroom setting. If you go right back, of course, to uh, when it was given to the children of Israel, there's no CCTV evidence, there's no fingerprint evidence or DNA evidence. Everything is decided on the testimony of witnesses. And, and so, the, the veracity of the witness statement becomes hugely important. The truthfulness of the witnesses is everything. And you can see how this catechism question goes on to say it doesn't just mean truthfulness in court, in the witness box. It means, well, as we can see there, not twisting others' words, no gossip, no quick rushing to judgment without giving someone the opportunity to defend themselves. And then a whole host of positive things as well, loving the truth and promoting the truth, and the reputation even of our neighbor, and the recognition in here, the the recognition that that, that lying and deceit is, is, is off the evil one. It is his language. So, it's a hugely far-reaching thing. And whenever we begin to think about it, and we think, as we were saying to the boys and girls earlier, of all the words that we use to avoid using the word lie, we realize that we live in a world where truth is so rare. And we find ourselves, too, so often just twisting the truth or embellishing it a little bit to make ourselves look better. So, it's far-reaching. Let's think about this commandment then in a few ways. First of all, just to make the big point that lies devastate. That that would have been my point in the untrue story of the Boxer Rebellion, that, that one lie can spread and can cause such devastation. But we know that, don't we? And we don't have to go to an untrue story like the origin of the Boxer Rebellion to find that. We've seen that as we've read our story in 1 Kings 21. Interestingly, one of the reasons we're looking at this, Kevin DeYoung notes that the way that the Hebrew Bible is structured, and the order of the Hebrew Bible isn't exactly the same as the order of our Old Testament, but the way that the Hebrew Bible is structured is that there's one big example 
of the breaking of each of the commandments in order. So in Genesis, it's the first. In Exodus, it's the second. In, you know, that, and so it goes on. And, and we get to the ninth book of order in the Hebrew Bible, and it is Kings. And here in 1 Kings 21, there's this tremendous story about false witnesses. It's a story about coveting as well, a story about theft, but a story about false witnesses. We know that the most infamous of one of the, of the early Israelites' kings was Ahab. His wife was called Jezebel. Um, I've told some folk before, but uh, uh, Gary and Fiona, Katrina's um, sister and her husband had a collie dog that they got from a rescue home, and they called it Jezebel. And uh, we had to look after it sometimes. We went through to Bangor to look after it, and it was, it was the most disobedient dog you could ever imagine. And uh, it got off the lead in, in Ward Park in Bangor. And there were Katrina and I running around shouting at the top of our voices, Jezebel, Jezebel. <laughs> and we had to move from Bangor ultimately at the end of the day. So, Well, there was Ahab and there was Jezebel. And, and Ahab had this palace in Jerusalem. He had gardens. He fancied a, a vegetable patch. He didn't want to uproot his roses and so on. And uh, he, he just looked over the wall, and, and there was Naboth's vineyard, perfect. And so he goes to try and buy it. And Naboth won't sell it. And, and the implication is that actually Naboth is a, is a righteous man. He's aware that the land is, is not really his, that he's a steward of it, that, that uh, God has given them this land. And so it's an inheritance for him. And, and he's, he's taken it from those who have come before him, and he's going to pass it on to those who are coming after him. So he's a righteous man. He's an upright man. He, he, he knows he can't sell it. So he refuses. And Ahab sulks and he won't eat. It's one of the problems about being king. You can normally have what you want, and normally having what you want isn't good for you. It's not the same with, with royalty today, but it probably is the same with celebrity, you know? People get to the top of the tree. Nobody ever says no to them. And, and, and we're meant, you see, to learn as we grow up, and, and parents have got to teach their kids this, don't we, that, that, that so often what we set our hearts on is wrong, and we need to live with boundaries. And, and Ahab wasn't a man who lived with boundaries. And so whenever he didn't get what he wants, he's like a toddler, and he sulks. And Jezebel notices, she couldn't help notice, and when she finds out, she gets to work. She's the evil plotter, as it were, and she invites Naboth to a big civic function. He's given a place of honor. She bribes two uh, scoundrels, as the Bible calls them, to sit opposite, and at some prearranged moment, they bring false witness against Naboth. Naboth has cursed both God and the king. And such a serious charge means an instant penalty, and he is brought outside and stoned to death. And his vineyard becomes Ahab's vegetable garden. And it's a dreadful story. It's one that's repeated down through history, isn't it? False charges so that people can get what they want. Do you know that lots of our brothers and sisters today who are in jail in Islamic countries are there because a neighbor has taken a grudge against them and they've borne false witness against them. They've said, my neighbor, I saw them uh, uh, defacing the Quran or, 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 or cursing Muhammad, and they're locked up for years, or maybe they lose their lives. We are going to meet lots of Naboths in heaven. 
But you see the devastation of the lie. Its power is to, to bring injustice and to ruin lives. And so, you know, the Bible is saying to us, don't, don't kid yourself that there's such a thing as a white lie. Don't think that the, 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 the lack of truth is ever a good thing. Things should be brought into the light. It's truth that, that, that cleanses things. And you see what God does, actually. We didn't read this part of the story. The story goes on. Verse 17, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, This is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, This is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. God takes the lie seriously, and the murder and the theft. Ahab initially repents, and God's judgment is stayed, but by the end of 1 Kings, the dogs are licking up the blood of Naboth. And early in 2 Kings, the dogs are licking up the blood of Jezebel. God takes the lie seriously. And God tells that story. He puts it into His book for us to say to us, look, look at what a devastating thing the lie is. Do you know these verses from uh, Proverbs? There are six things that the Lord hates, <clears throat> seven that are abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run, run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, one who sows discord among brothers. Wonder was Ahab and Jezebel in the mind of Solomon as he uh, pulled those verses together. Proverbs, uh, no, he wouldn't because he was the wrong way around, wasn't he? He was after him. He was perhaps prophesying about him. Perhaps it's that way. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His uh, delight. Ephesians 4 calls us to speak the truth in love. You see, God delights in the truth, you see, because He, he is the truth, and he, he wants His people to turn away from falsehood. Remember, Jesus said that He's the way and the truth and the life. The Bible tells us it's impossible for a God to lie. Hebrews 6, 18, impossible for God to lie. He delights in the truth. So, what about us? Let, 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 let's hold the mirror of God's Word up to our lives and say, are you a person of the truth? Is it your habit to just speak the truth no matter what the cost is? Listen to those words from the Catechism again. I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words. Not gossip or slander nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath in court and everywhere else. I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Well, we start to feel the force of it, don't we? We think of the times that we've exaggerated and twisted the truth and embellished things and so on. We realize that we've spoken sometimes with the accent of the evil one because this is his language. 
And we realize that there's a word for us whenever we don't speak the truth. It's the word liar. The Bible is this mirror that helps us to see ourselves as lawbreakers. Well, God calls us to speak the truth. How do we do that? Well, here's, here's some steps that will help us do that. First of all, we need to understand our hearts. We need to understand what goes on whenever we're lying. The Bible says that the, the, the God desires truth in the inward parts, but it also says that our hearts are deceitful. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, part of what that means is if you just do what you want, do what sort of you feel comes naturally to you, your heart is deceitful, and it will lead you in the wrong way. So, our hearts will not help us to speak the truth. They'll lead us in other directions. They say, oh, the little white lie is okay. It's not that untrue. She'd be better off not knowing. And one of the things that we, we sometimes say as we look at the commandments, you see, is that we never break any of the commandments without breaking the first one that we should have no other gods before God. And every time we break a commandment, we, we, we break the first one. So, we see that very clearly with lying. The reason that we lie is so often because there's something that we really want. We, we want popularity. We want to be thought well of, and so we lie. We, we don't want to look like a fool or to lose face, and so we lie. We, we lie at that moment, because something has become more important to God to us in our lives. We've just broken the first commandment as well as the ninth. We've allowed that thing, comfort or reputation or whatever it might be, to be in the place of God. And so, we, we break those commandments together. And, and we often then, if we break those commandments, we break so many other commandments as we saw with Nabal's vineyard. And the other reason that we lie is because we do not really believe the gospel. We do not believe that, that all that we have and need is found in Jesus, that there's no other source of, of worth or happiness or meaning, and so on. So, we lie because we don't believe and we don't rest in the gospel. We've got to understand our hearts. And then the other thing is we've got to look to the one who lives in you. We've got to look to the one who lives in us. One of the reasons that I told the story of Naboth is that he's not the only man who suffers at the heart of a lie, at the hands of a lie. In a Matthew's gospel, Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, and it says this, the chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. You see, they, they get two liars, they twist the words of the Son of God, and he is convicted. False witnesses lead him to the cross. Jesus and Naboth will have something to talk about. So, you see, Jesus pays for our sins on the cross. He comes there because of lies, and He comes to pay for lies. And then He comes to dwell in us by His Spirit. As we give our lives to Him, as we commit ourselves to Him, He comes to, to live in us. And who is it that lives in us? There used to be an old hymn that we sang, Think what Spirit dwells within thee. What a Father's smile is thine. The Spirit of Jesus who comes to dwell in us, 
is the spirit of Jesus of whom Isaiah spoke and said, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he had not done any violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It's impossible for God to lie. Jesus never lied. And if you're a Christian here today, he is living in you by his spirit. So how, how do you speak the truth? You understand your heart, and, and you, then you say to the one who lives in you, Jesus, help me speak the truth. You, you, you don't deal in falsehood. There's no deceit found in you. Lord, help me to be truthful. You died for me. You live in me by your Spirit. Help me to speak the truth. See? One last thing just to do, and that is that we've got to speak, or speak truth to the world. We've got to speak truth to the world. I noticed as I was looking for some of my books in this that I've got quite a number of titles on my bookshelves that speak about the truth or speaking the truth. And do you know what they're all about? They're all about evangelism. They're all about taking the message of God to the world. Because why is that? This world is, is living in a lie. It, it, it invents hundreds of words to speak about the lack of truth. And it's all around us, isn't it? You think of the lies that, that our world tells us. You can be who you want to be. You can live a decent life and there's nothing to worry about. You, there is no one to be accountable to. Or if there's a God, He's a big softy and He's going to welcome everyone. He doesn't care what you've done. He will certainly welcome those who try hard and be true to themselves. Many of our friends and neighbors believe that lie. Do you think of that? Do you think that your friends and neighbors and workmates are living a lie? Maybe some of us are living that lie. We're thinking, I'm going to be okay. God, I'm not a Christian, but I'm sure God will make an exception for me. That's a lie that we've told ourselves and that we're living under. We think that we actually don't need a Savior. We've convinced ourselves of something that's not true. And you see, into that circumstance, God's people must speak the truth. Because we know that we, we know the truth. We know it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. We know that we're accountable to the Lord. We know that when we run from God, God speaks and says, Where are you? We know that He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that those who believe should not perish, but have eternal life. We know that Christ is our only hope, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. We know the truth. So speak to the world the truth of God because it's living in a lie. You know, God criticizes His prophets and His priests who didn't speak the truth. Jeremiah 8, He says of them, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. You know, if we're if we're not speaking the truth to the world, we're just saying, peace, peace. We're saying, world, don't worry. What you think is fine. How you are is okay. Speak the truth to the world. God says, do not lie. Do not bear, uh, bear false witness against your neighbor. Be lovers of the truth in your life and then from your mouth. Why don't we take a moment just to, to pray? 
to think about our truthfulness, but then also about our need to speak truth to the world. Let's pray for a moment. Loving God and Heavenly Father, we, we come together. This is such a, an issue because our, our words and even the unspoken words of our minds are, are, are almost constant. And as we begin to run them through the filter of Your Word, as we begin to measure them against Your standard, we, we see them to be so far short. I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit, as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Lord, forgive us for our sins. And Lord, as we think about taking your truth to this world, we think of the people that we know who are living in the lie that they do not need you. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us both a heart for them and the words to bring to them. Help us, Lord, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.